Well, good morning, North Langley. My name's Kevin. I am the Aldergrove campus pastor, and happy Father's Day, everyone. Um, I'm really excited about Father's Day. My kids are 18 and 20 right now, and I feel like I'm hitting the time when Father's Day, like, I have big expectations. They're very capable human beings now, and, and we're, they're playing it like it's going to be a low-key day, but uh, I'm expecting big things out of my boys today, so <laughs> go Father's Day. Um, yeah, we should, right? Um, so um, you might have heard that our Aldergrove campus is merging with Bethel Mennonite, and I'm so thankful because like this last Monday, we approved some finances that we're going to be able to make it a wonderful ministry center uh, for years and years to come, and I'm super thankful. Now, over the last year that I've been thinking a lot about campus ministry, the benefits of campus ministry have really become evident to me, and seeing like just... Um, how valuable it is to be in a small community where you kind of like cheers or everybody knows each other's name and, and I'm so excited and to be honest Jeff and I have been talking about this with kind of our Yorkson campus and our Aldergrove campus and we can't figure out why so many of you are still here because being a part of a campus like it, it just seems like there are so many great things the best of both worlds the awesome things about a bigger established church like North Langley as well as more of the the um, personal touch that comes with being a part of a smaller family. So anyway, I think you should all consider hang, heading over to, uh, to Yorkson. It's going to be great and maybe coming to join us in Aldergrove in the fall. Okay, that's enough of my campus plug. Um, today we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10 as part of our Luke summer series. Now this is one of the most famous kind of Bible references that you can find. Uh, even if you have no biblical knowledge, you've never been to church, chances you are you know what a good Samaritan is. You know the story. You know that the point of it is that we're supposed to help others in need, even if they're strangers. We're supposed to go out of our way to help others. Um, you might know that there's a Good Samaritan law, which I think we have in BC, which says that if you're trying to help someone in need, that they can't sue you if you like, make an honest mistake. Um, as well, if for those of you that were around for the Seinfeld, you guys remember Seinfeld? Seinfeld ends with Jerry and George and Kramer and Elaine going to jail for not being Good Samaritans, and uh, kind of a funny take on it. But everyone knows the story of the Good Samaritan. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Now, I'm just going to read it, but before I do, I just want to tell you, I'm calling our message today, Moved by Mercy. Moved by Mercy. And there's going to be kind of two main points that I'm making. So the first one is that moving towards acting merciful to others, so that we move towards mercy and extending mercy to others. And the second is being moved by mercy because of what God has done for us, being moved by the mercy of God. So I'm just going to read the text in its entirety now, and then we'll kind of dive into it afterwards. So if you'd like to follow along, we're in uh, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Yes. Now, to be honest, you guys, um, when I hear the story of the Good Samaritan, the first thing that comes to mind is guilt. Um, I can think of so many times in my life where I have felt God calling me to be a Good Samaritan and where I have kind of failed that. Uh, One of the most profound experiences in my life came when I was in youth group. I was in grade 11, I think, and uh, my youth group went together to Missions Fest in Vancouver, and uh, we we had just been to this youth rally where there was amazing worship. We were hearing stories about awesome things that God was doing all over the world and how important it was to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And as the rally wrapped up, everyone's kind of mingling, doing their thing, and I was waiting for my youth group to assemble. And uh, I saw someone across the room, uh, someone that I believe was homeless, and they were going through garbage cans uh, looking for bottles and cans to recycle, I'm assuming, for money. And, and I felt, it was one of the first times I felt the Holy Spirit, like, really nudging me. And I, and I really believe that he was saying, like, Kevin, go over there and give that guy your hoodie, the hoodie I was wearing. And I thought, no, no, I don't want to do that. See, it was right after Christmas. And my hoodie was what I asked for for Christmas. And it was the present that I got. And I thought to myself, if I give this away, I'm going to make the person sad who gave it to me. Or I'm going to be cold and I, and I still have to get home. And, and I remember kind of justifying and making all sorts of excuses in my head. And, and I actually left that place not giving away my hoodie. And I felt a lot of guilt towards that. The next couple of weeks, actually, I couldn't wear it. I remember feeling like a huge amount of guilt every time I thought about wearing that. And so I ended up just giving it away to the Salvation Army or something about a month or two after this um, because I felt guilt. Now, when I was told I was preaching on the Good Samaritan, I was like, oh man, a guilt story. And uh, it's what kind of naturally comes up in me. Because too often in my life, I have not allowed myself to be moved by mercy. I make excuses, I try and figure out why I don't have to love that particular neighbor. So to be honest, this is not one of my favorite stories to preach on, but let's dive it together, into it together, and see if the Lord has something for us, maybe beyond guilt. So let's kind of dive into it. So verse 25, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. I think that's an important word there, test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's easy to say this with hindsight, but a good idea is not to test Jesus, okay? Like, we know this now, but I think a lot of times we do this still. We come to Jesus with a question, but we already know the answer, or at least we think we know the answer. 
We come to Jesus and saying, Lord, here's what I'm asking you, but really we already have the answer in our minds, and we're looking for Jesus to affirm or confirm something that we've already made up in our minds, something we believe to be true. And so I think just kind of a quick aside is, it is so important as followers of Jesus that we ask questions, that we can come to God with concerns or questions or doubts or fears, and we can ask God these things. That's so important, but... It is so important to do so with a posture of humility and a posture where we are ready to receive something from God that might be different than what we planned or hoped for. And so I think it's so good to ask God questions, but if we're not letting God inform our answers, are we really following Jesus? So anyway, Jesus answers with two questions. Now, Jeff and I made an agreement. Jeff's preaching the same text at Yorkson. He told me a really bad joke that goes right here. Um, Not funny at all. And uh, for some reason, we both promised to say the joke in our sermons today. So here it goes. Um, Why do you, sorry, um, why did the rabbi answer the question with another question? Yeah, why? Thank you. Um, Let's try that again. Why did the rabbi answer the question with another question? Why do you think the rabbi answered the question with another question? Yeah, it fell flat in this first service too. Um, I did what I promised I would do. Okay, so Jesus, but he actually answers the question with two more questions. He says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, okay, now this is, remember, an expert in the law, not like legal law, like what we think of as like religious law. And so when he answers, he When he asked the question, he already had the answer locked and loaded. He was like, okay, I already know the answer. So he's ready to go. And he said, yeah, the answer is easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the greatest commandment from Matthew chapter 22. And he knew the right answer. He gets it. But it actually seems like he doesn't get it. You know the right answer, but you don't get it. And I think something really interesting here is that being a follower of Jesus has a lot more to do with knowing the right answers. Just knowing the right answers doesn't seem to be what Jesus is looking for in his followers. Because he answers like this. He says, you've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. So not just know it, but do it. And so coming back to the initial question was, how to inherit eternal life? And the answer is to love God and to love others. That, that's the answer. But we have to do it. But, in verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus, help me define very specifically and narrowly as possible who my neighbor is, so I also know who my neighbor is not who is not my neighbor? That's really what he's asking for. He's asking for a loophole. Now, neighbor here, um, the Greek word is uh, pleision. Say it with me, pleision. Pleision. There's kind of two meanings or two ways to define neighbor in the Greek. One is someone that lived close to you. So I have a neighbor named Josh. He lives next door to me. Uh, He's my pleision. Or it could be someone that you share an affinity or a love for something with. So, for example, if you are really enjoying the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, you are my placeon because every episode is better than the one before. Or maybe if you're into hiking or you follow the same sports team as me. If, if we have something in common, something we love or that we have the same kind of affection or affinity towards, we are neighbors. We are placeon. And that's kind of how they defined neighbors. But Jesus, in this parable, is ready to erase those preconceived lines and draw completely new ones that are much 
much bigger because extending mercy is extremely valuable in the kingdom of God. So Jesus answers the question with a parable. Now, a parable is simply a story that is designed to kind of stretch your thinking, make you think outside the box. So this is Jesus defining what a neighbor is. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the road down from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous place. There are like caves. It was kind of like a treacherous place. And so it wasn't uncommon for things like this to happen. So people brought weapons with them. Like they, they were careful. And so anyway, this man, a nameless Jewish traveler, finds himself ambushed, beaten, alone, naked, completely helpless. And so what happens next? What happens next is actually that the religious system fails him. Here's what happened. A priest, now a priest should have been the ray of hope. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So he's walking towards him, he sees him, he passes by on the other side. But then, don't worry, so too a Levite, because that's still the religious system. So to a Levite came and to the place where he saw him, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, having a priest or a Levite, like this represents the religious system. This should have brought hope in the story. These are the people that should have been the hero of the story. They step in and are the embodiment of what God wants from his people. However, this system went out of its way to turn a blind eye, move away from and pass someone in need. And I think the sad part is, is a lot of us, I think, can relate to that. We've had church or Christians or a system that we thought was there to protect us and, and, and give us comfort and mercy and grace has been a system that's actually brought pain. I know that this last year, for me, there have been so many national and international scandals involving churches and leaders that like, I've, I've felt like betrayed by Christians, people calling themselves Christians, people who are Christians who have done horrible things. Too often, too often it seems that people outside of the church do a better job of following Jesus' commandments than those of us inside the church. And that can feel so heavy. In fact, I think that that was actually Jesus' point in making the Samaritan the hero in the story. He wants us to feel uncomfortable. He wants us to feel really unsettled with this type of story because the system that should have shown mercy was actually the system to turn a blind eye. But then along comes the Samaritan. Now, the key part of this story, most of us know, is that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. There's a long history and a long ugly history of these two groups not getting along. And in fact, even calling the Samaritan a good Samaritan would have been like, what? Jesus, you know that's an oxymoron, right? Like Samaritans are not good. It's kind of like, we know oxymorons, like jumbo shrimp, right? One of my favorite songs is The Sound of Silence. Um, or another oxymoron, good country music. Like these things, <laughs> they don't mix. They're oxymorons, they don't go together. If you're into Harry Potter, it would have been like the, the Samaritans were half-breeds, they were the muggles, they were people that were despised and looked down on. They, they had not just a different view, but a twisted and a warped view of spirituality and life that the Jews had a really hard time with. So this is the bad guy. The Samaritans are always the villain. Always the villain. Good Samaritan? 
So a Samaritan, someone outside and unexpected from the outside the religious system, travels by when he comes to the man and he saw him and took pity on him. He was moved by mercy and he went to him and bandaged him. He poured oil and wine on him. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. He took out denarii. He, he told the innkeeper, he said, keep my tab open. Here's my credit card. Like, take care of this guy. When I come back, I'll pay you anything else. It's interesting to know that, that the Samaritan... He wasn't planning on being a good Samaritan. He had somewhere to go. He was also traveling that same road. You don't just do that for fun. In fact, he had something to do where he couldn't even stay with the person. He had to like set him up with a room, give the innkeeper his credit card, leave, go do whatever business he had to do, and then come back. And so I think it's really interesting that this would have been incredibly inconvenient for this Samaritan. Um, Timothy Keller has a quote that I really like. He says, apathy is a bigger problem than atheism for Christianity. And this is the priest and the Levite walking on the other side of the road. Apathy is a bigger problem than atheism for Christianity. So here's what I'd like to do right now is I just want to take a moment. We're just going to have a moment of silence in a second where I'm going to ask you to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to maybe lead you or prompt you or, or speak to you. But I think that sometimes we need to just kind of acknowledge that we do have apathy that we do sometimes want to cross over, turn a blind eye. And it could be someone that maybe you've avoided or pretended not to see. But in a second, like I said, I want to have a moment of silence and for you to just invite the Holy Spirit and be like, is there anyone that you want me to be thinking about as we move through the parable of the Good Samaritan? Is there anyone specific that you have in mind that needs my mercy, that needs a mercy extended to them? Now, it could be someone that, that you have hurt or wounded. It could be a stranger. But I think sometimes we need to extend mercy to the people that are closest to us. The story of the Good Samaritan is, is that mercy should extend this far, even to your enemies. And what that means is that the mercy that's extending also covers everything in the middle. So it covers your spouse and your kids and your parents, your friends, your colleagues, people you know from work. Mercy is to extend that far, so it includes all those people as well. And so maybe the person that you need to be the Good Samaritan towards or the person that God is asking you to show mercy to is someone who's much closer to you. So let's just take a moment and pray. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make this real for us. God, if there's someone specific that you want us to be thinking about as, as we kind of move through this text today, God, put that person on our heart. God, bring their names to mind. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. So Lord, I pray that you would remove any apathy that we might have and that you would help us to see with your eyes and love with your heart. Amen. So Jesus concludes this story by, by asking the, the expert of the law, which of these three was a neighbor? And the expert replied, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus says, go and do likewise. 
Now, they're kind of, like I said at the beginning, there are two main points that I kind of want to pull out, or at least that God has put on my heart this week as I've been working through this. And the first main point of this parable is really simple, to be moved by mercy, moved towards acting merciful to others, okay, so that we are moved to be merciful towards others. Because God's heart is one of mercy and compassion. He is one that cares and is tender and is gentle, and and He wants His church to be known as people who are full of mercy. And that should be easy, right? It should be easy. Um, North Langley has several ministries that I've been thinking about this week that do such a good job of showing mercy to to people in need. And so I just want to highlight a couple right now. Um, North Langley does something called Langley Street Friends. And three times a month, three Sundays a month, a team of people from North Langley make food and they bring it into downtown Langley and they serve it to anyone who's there. Some of the people are homeless, some people that just need a meal. And that's a beautiful way where they've seen a need and they say, okay, how can I extend mercy there? And they, they bring food. Caleb mentioned in our announcements this morning that we are about to uh, sponsor a second Syrian refugee family coming to Langley that we've been waiting years, literally, to bring across, and they're a family of eight. And we found a house for them, and we're collecting things for them right now. And so if you have something where you're like, oh, the Lord's asking me to to be merciful, consider if there's something maybe you can donate. There's lots of information kind of on, especially our Facebook um, groups. And so if you check that out, they're, they're looking for bikes and kitchenware specifically are two of their biggest needs. On Friday, I got to go with a group from North Langley uh, called the Supporting Hospital or Nursing Units Group. And this is a group that through the pandemic, we realized that a lot of our, our healthcare professionals are feeling really drained and burnt out. And so we've had a group that's donated a bunch of money and, and a few times a month they bring meals and handwritten cards. And so this last Friday, uh, we got to deliver over 100 meals and little care packages that include a handwritten card to 120-something healthcare workers from Langley Memorial Hospital. We also do a group called Celebrate Single Moms. Every year we try and celebrate them. We have something at North Langley called the Axe Project, which is a fund that you can give towards that we use those funds to maybe help with people who can't afford counseling, who need counseling, or maybe are struggling with groceries or things like that. And so we try and be a church of mercy. We try and make sure that we're, we're doing these types of things that God is calling us to do. But here's kind of what hit me this week. This is just kind of the line. I feel like God was saying, Kevin, we can't program away mercy, that it needs to be personal. And it's so good that we do these things. I love these things. But I also realized that the Samaritan didn't make a plan. He just kind of, in a very spontaneous way, found someone in need. And a lot of times, I like to think that I am merciful by association. Okay, um, I am not naturally a very compassionate person, um, so God gave me a very compassionate spouse. And so I will come home and Christine will be like, oh, I heard about this family that needed something and so we sent them groceries or did something. And my thought is, well, I, that's mine and, and I don't want to share those things. Um, or I think that, oh, I don't need to be merciful because I'm a part of a church that shows mercy and compassion. And I really felt like the Lord was saying to me, Kevin, The Good Samaritan is a very spontaneous story of someone very much going out of their way and being extremely inconvenienced, and your excuses aren't very good. That's kind of how I felt God was telling me. Um, And so maybe, hopefully you're better at showing mercy than I am, Um, but we don't get to do it by association. David Garland says, the logic behind these verses is that loving God also requires loving those who have been made in the image of God. The two go hand in hand. 
So again, we can't justify these things. And, and honestly, I don't know where this kind of came from, but I, I kind of grew up in the church or a lot of my life in the church, and I feel like I've also made church excuses for not showing kindness or mercy. And I feel like, I don't, again, I don't know where it came from, but, but the idea that like in Jesus' time, they had the poor, but they didn't have things like soup kitchens, and they didn't have things like shelters. They didn't have social services that kind of help people. And so I make an excuse, and I'm like, well, they don't need my help. If they need help, they'll find something. Or I make excuses that I don't want to be enabling an addiction or substance abuse, or um, the need is too great, my resources are too limited, or I just don't like that person, and it doesn't have to be someone homeless and destitute, but we just make these excuses about why we don't actually have to be merciful. Some images we used around Easter time were from a, 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 an account called At Salt and Gold Collection. And they're pictures of Jesus washing all kinds of people's feet. And these images have been very meaningful to me this year. We, we actually have a number of them in our hallway still. And I just love the idea and the image of Jesus washing all different kinds of people's feet. And there's way more than I have on the screen here. And I love it because some of the people in these images I identify with, and I'm like, that's me. And there's Jesus washing my feet. But there are a number of images where I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't necessarily love that I see Jesus washing their feet. And it can make me feel uncomfortable. It can make me feel hard. It, because it's someone that maybe I would look at on the road and try and cross over and turn a blind eye and walk the other side of the road past. So these things are difficult. And it's important to remember, it's important to remember that when we're talking about situations of showing mercy and kindness, that we are not talking about like situations that involve uh, abuse or, or where you'd be in danger are not what we're talking about. So we try and say that often from the stage. And so if, if you're feeling like the Lord is leading you to, to be merciful or, or forgiving or compassionate to someone that has maybe been an unsafe person for you, make sure you do that with help, with, with a counselor, with someone and that you're not doing that alone and putting yourself in a bad situation. But I believe that that's kind of the first point out of the Good Samaritan. And that's the obvious one. It's just that we are supposed to show mercy. We're supposed to be moved to show mercy to other people. And here's the second one, and that this is the one that kind of has hit me this week, is that point two is being moved by the mercy of God, being moved by the mercy of God that he has poured out to us, that we are moved emotionally in ourselves because of the mercy that we have received, that we actually take time to reflect on Jesus washing our feet and meeting us in our brokenness. That I, in the Good Samaritan, I often think, am I the Levite? Am I the priest? I want to be the Good Samaritan. But I actually think in this story that I'm the beaten up guy on the road who's sitting there helpless. The one who's in need. And I think that when I put myself in that person in the story, as that person, I realize that it is Jesus' mercy and grace and his love, that he is the one that comes to me to meet me in my need, in my brokenness, in my sin, in my shame, and that Jesus is the best example of a good Samaritan that we will ever find, and that Jesus will never pass us by. Churches, our own self-sufficiency, programming, all these things, they can pass us by, they can let us down, but Jesus will never let us down. Jesus is the good Samaritan. And I think sometimes when I read uh, things in the Bible, I'm like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be the good Samaritan. I, I'm supposed to be the good shepherd. But really, Jesus is the hero. And so Jesus is the example of the good Samaritan. And I am the one who is beaten and in need that Jesus reaches out to and shows me mercy. And then 
When I recognize what Jesus has done for me, then I can go and do likewise. Because it's like I'm a cup and, and that Jesus' mercy is just kind of flowing into me. And as I experience his mercy and his love and his grace, it begins to overflow. And then I have something to share with other people. Because I think sometimes what happens is we think that we just have to be good and we have to like do all these nice things because of the Good Samaritan story. And so we think that it's all about pouring out and pouring out and showing mercy and showing mercy. When really, Jesus is the hero and we receive the mercy. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. I was chatting with Spencer, our, um, one of our pastors here, and he said a quote, and I don't normally quote pastors from our church, but I am right now. And, and so Spencer said, our brokenness is the unexpected, and I think that's the key, the key word. Our brokenness is the unexpected place where we find mercy. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to take my feelings of guilt that I have about not being the Good Samaritan nearly enough in my life. I want to take that, that guilt and then kind of be like, Jesus, I actually have a lot more than just guilt. I have shame. I have my own sin. I have the, the things that I regret. Father's Day, we often think about, yeah, things that were either hurt by our dads or that I've done that have not been loving my kids the way I want to. And I want to take all of these things, this brokenness, the sin, the mistakes, and I, the hardness and the callousness and the apathy, and I want to actually just take it all and be like, Jesus, when I actually recognize my own need, I know that I am that beaten man, that I am totally helpless, and you still show me mercy. Because our brokenness is that unexpected place where we find God's mercy. So again, mercy isn't just about pouring out to others until we're empty. It's being poured into and being receiving, or sorry, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we are both moved to do mercy, to show mercy, but we are also moved internally by the mercy shown to us. So there are two movements, yes, both a, a moving and a receiving. It's, a, it's an outpouring and it's a giving, and it's a receiving. And so um, the definition of mercy, okay, it's kind of saving it towards the end, is, is mercy showing compassion or forgiveness towards someone who it is within your power to punish or harm? So showing compassion or mercy to someone that is within your power to harm or punish. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is only grace. That's why following Jesus is the best. Romans chapter 5 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were beaten up on the road, Christ showed mercy. He gave us his love. Now, the Greek word for mercy is a little more fun. Um, the Greek word for mercy translates to be moved in one's bowels. Okay, now, um, we might think that's weird, but the way we would be like, I, I love and I feel um, like passion or tenderness out of my heart, in Jesus' day, that was like considered your stomach. And so they would be like that, that kind of that feeling you get in your stomach when you're like, oh, I should give that guy my jacket, or like sometimes that feeling comes out of your stomach. And so they would have talked about being moved inside, same as our heart. And I think that that's the kind of mercy that we receive, that mercy where it's like, is something stirring in me? Am I putting in myself in a place where I'm vulnerable enough to allow God to stir something in me? Am I moved by mercy? I receive, and then I have the ability to give. So coming back to the start, we often forget this parable starts with a question about eternal life. How can I inherit eternal life? And the answer was to love God. And I believe that that is accepting his mercy. That's realizing that we're broken, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he offers us new life and new resurrection and eternal life. 
And that the other answer is to love others, to share that love with other people, to be motivated to let mercy overflow from us, to be moved by mercy and towards mercy. So Jeff and I were hanging out and uh, the Grinch came up. You guys like the Grinch stole Christmas? Of course we do. Um, Do you guys remember how much bigger the Grinch's heart grows at the end? Three times. Yes, three times is a lot when you think about what a heart would be. Um, And so the Grinch stole Christmas. And what you would expect is that on Christmas morning, the people of Whoville would come out and they'd be like, someone stole Christmas. It was obviously the Grinch. Let's get a mob together. Let's call the authorities. Let's get the police and let's go up and get Christmas back. But that's not how they respond. They actually extend mercy to the Grinch by not going after him, by just celebrating Christmas. And then the Grinch sees this, and his heart begins to grow, and he is moved because first he received mercy, and then he was compelled to show mercy. And so then he brings the Christmases back, and they have a beautiful Christmas, and his heart is changed, we would say in the Bible, from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So we both receive and give mercy. The worship team's going to lead us in a song in just a moment, and you're, you're free to sing along, but I would also encourage you to consider, through this song, putting yourself in the Good Samaritan story as the beaten man along the road. To actually be in a, in a posture to accept mercy from the Holy Spirit. And maybe it's an area where you've been too hard on yourself, where you've actually like been beating yourself up. Is there an area in your life that God wants to show you more mercy than you're willing to show yourself. I invite you to just take a moment and let some of the lyrics and let the song wash over you with that. Or maybe you're moved to, um, maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to wash the feet of someone that you would rather walk beside. If you were thinking of someone in that moment of silence, if God's put something in your mind or someone in your mind, I would actually challenge you to think about that image of Jesus washing their feet. That Jesus came because he loves them and he wants to serve them. And then he says to the expert in the law, go and do likewise. And so then imagine yourself washing their feet and yourself showing love and mercy and compassion towards them. So the the lines in the song are going to go like this. It says, though our hearts are weak from failure, broken dreams and failed attempts, show us that in every season you fill our emptiness Take what we have to offer and make it something greater. And so, Lord, we thank you so much that we find mercy, that we find grace in stories like the Good Samaritan. Thank you that you are the Good Samaritan. Thank you that you reach us, that you see us, that you move toward us and bandage us and carry us and shelter us and meet our needs, Lord. Thank you that you are the Good Samaritan. And so, Lord, in this morning's message, I pray that we would just be so um, filled with your mercy and your love today, God, that there would be an outpouring of mercy and grace around Langley as your church goes out and does as you have modeled. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. Lead us in the ways of mercy. Amen.